Good morning and God bless everyone. Have you ever, uh, sometimes it's hard not to judge people. Uh, you ever did that? Ever looked at somebody's life and you said, well, if such and such continues to go that route, they're doomed. You ever said something like that? It's easy to judge. And sometimes it's easier because of the life of the individual that we're looking at, what's happening in their life, the fruit and the things that they're doing is so evident, crystal clear. We're going to talk about a crystal clear uh, life of a character of the Bible here that you are going to say after we get through studying that he is unforgiving. And um, let's turn to, let's go to there right now. 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21, we're going to examine the life of Manasseh. So, we're going to start in 2 Kings 21 verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old. Well, do we have any 12 year old children in here? Maybe, well, 9, 10. Imagine. What were you doing at 12 years old? You think you were ready to be king? We have Manasseh here becomes king at 12 years old. And uh, he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but that's a long stint as a king uh, in the days of uh, Israel. So... 57 years, 57 plus 12, that's also 69 years. That's a good life back then. So here we have a guy that became king at 12 years old and he reigned 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. Now, you remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah uh, decided that he would do and obey the laws of God. And when you decide, when you have a heart for God, when you when you have that heartfelt passion... You do good things. You do good works. And one of the things that Hezekiah did was remove all of the evil presence of places like what it says here, like high places. And uh, he destroyed that things were raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab the king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all of the host of heaven and served them. This is what his son was doing. And um, not a very good start, is it? Verse 4. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all of the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he made his son pass through the fire, practicing soothsaying, used witchcraft, consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even sat. It's getting worse and worse. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David, the son 
Solomon, his son, and his house, and then Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I commanded them, according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they pay no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do evil than on the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Uh, Quite a record, folks. Quite a record. Well, let's examine a little bit some things that we find in the life of Manasseh. Number one, it says that uh, he rebuilt high places. You, a lot of you are aware of what that these places were. He was kind of places off in the little hills or in the mountains or... They would build altars, but these were uh, idols, other gods. And so these other nations would come along and build these places of worship, if you will, and then they would worship their gods. And so on all around you would find these type places, high places. So you got this king that comes on the scene now after Hezekiah, and he decides to rebuild them. He says, forget what my father did, forget all the good things, forget God's way. And instead, Manasseh decided to do things his way. Instead, Manasseh decided to go a different route. Okay? Alright, so then it says that he also instituted Baal worship. Baal worship. Kind of a disgusting religion. They incorporated prostitution in their worship, did all kinds of evil and horrible things. Said that he instituted idols. He made his children pass through the fire. Do you know what that is? Well, in some of the texts that I was reading, making your children pass through the fire means that you're sacrificing them to a God. Wasn't a nice guy, was he? Now, I don't know about you, so far I could say we could write him off already and say he's unforgiven, then forget it, and just deal with him and say, God, take care of him. Usually that's what we say anyway. We look over there to places over across the seas and we see ISIS do all of their horrible beheadings and we say we write them off already, right? I mean, you know what we do? We see that and we say, that's horrible, that's disgusting, these are inhuman people and they're unforgiven. And they deserve what God would give them later on. If not now, surely when He comes again. Come on, God, rain on them. Soothsayers. We had a chance to go on a trip at, to New Orleans. How many of you have ever been to New Orleans? Well, it's kind of nice and kind of not in a lot of ways because of the things that you see around there. We, we went and visited, uh, went to that famous street and uh, we went to the to that Catholic church there. There's a huge Catholic church. And so you go in and you see all of this splendor and glory. And you see all of these dedications to God. Um, you know? 
And I want to, I don't want to condemn other people and their religious beliefs there, but when you walk out of the church there, guess what you find? You walk out and you find soothsayers. <laughs> you find people right out there, right outside the step of the church door. Kind of creepy. Soothsayers, people who can predict the future, look at your glass ball and want, to t- want you to, well, you want them to tell you what your future is going to be, right? All right. Witchcraft. Witchcraft in the Old Testament. Yeah, they did a lot of weird things. One of the things they were really good at was drugs. And, uh, that's where we get our word pharmacy from. Witchcraft. So he did all kinds of crazy things, Manasseh did, didn't he? Sorcery. And then when you didn't think he was done and, and over yet, mediums and spiritists. I mean, this guy, he, when he, <laughs> when he decided to go hog wild, he went hog wild. And he just didn't want to experience one thing. He wanted to experience it all, apparently. Right? Look at this list. This is... This is a terrible list. I guess you can say, after this, surely he would be unforgiven. Surely. Well... Just when you think it couldn't get worse. It talks in the verses there we read that he placed an image in the house of the Lord. Now of all things, that's an abomination. You go and desecrate God's place. A place where he dwells. A place that he said was built for him and him alone. Manasseh decided... To bring an image into this house. Second Kings twenty one sixteen. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood. Very much. Now look at that. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Beside his sin in which he had made Judah to sin. And doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So when you thought that this guy wasn't really bad. The word of God says, okay, now I want to one up that. He's really bad. He is especially bad. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent, but very much. One end of Jerusalem to the other end, he shed blood. It was horrible. I don't know how they put up with him. Second Chronicles 33, 9 through 11. Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that they did more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. Now, I want you to think of that. Here God had chosen Israel. He said, now, 
I've chose you because I love you. Not that you were special, but now you are special to me. You are my chosen people. You are my treasure. And I'm taking you out of all of this evil world. And I'm bringing you into the promised land. And now he says that the Manasseh comes on the scene. And he causes Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So they did more evil than the nations around them. And there were some pretty horrible nations that existed around them. Disgusting people. And now the Lord was just shaking his head and he was going, now who's, what's the difference between the people that I call my people and the people that are living around them? Not much difference. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they gave no heed. Now you would think that God would have had enough and you would think that God would say, okay, I'm ending this. But no, God took time. Look at what it says. The Lord spoke to Manasseh. You would think that after, you think that after uh, Baal worship, God would say, it's time for me to go have a talk with Manasseh. <laughs> or if not, then maybe through passing of the fire when he sacrifices one of his children down the road. You think God would then see it necessary to have a chat with Manasseh? But it was after all this was done that it says that God finally just spoke to Manasseh but not only did he speak to Manasseh, but he also spoke to the people. Don't think that God's not a very patient God. Don't think that God's not a loving God, caring God. Therefore, the Lord then after that, after all failed, therefore the Lord brought against them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh captive in manacles, bought him with fetters, bound him with fetters, and brought him to Babylon. The Lord spoke. Tried to reach him. They gave no heed. And then it says, He took Manasseh captive in manacles. Now, I was reading somewhere where it says, manacles, where it says that what they did really was they came along and they grabbed this old boy and they put a ring in his, in his, uh, I think in his jaw. I was going to say his nose, but I think they put that ring in his jaw and clamped him down and drug him to Babylon. Not a fancy way to, he, he wanted to leave town, was it? Bound him in fetters. So, you know, after a while, God said, okay, I had enough of this guy. Time for me to take action. And he did. Well, we've examined his life, so let's do something that none of us want to do, and let's examine our lives. It's easy to look at Manasseh after all this and say, you know, he deserved everything he got. Right? I mean, it's easy to read all this and we feel, you know, pretty good about ourselves. And you go, well, wait a minute, Brother Bruce. You know, this is this lesson is not for me because, you know what, number one is I don't participate in Baal worship. Number two is I don't make my children pass through the fire. And number three is I don't, you know, consult mediums or spiritists. And I don't need to talk to somebody that's, you know, one of my loved ones in the grave and see what they're doing. So we think that, as I was doing whenever I was coming up with a study, and I'm thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? 
Well, I started thinking, okay, what about these high places that it talks about? Do we not build our own high places? You know what that's called? Giving place to the devil. You see, we give, the scriptures talk about, don't give place to Satan, and yet we do it a lot, don't we? We let him build that little spot somewhere in our heart, that place that we've got reserved for ourselves, that place that we want to do whatever we want to do and not necessarily what God wants us to do so that we can enjoy just a little bit. Come on, Lord, just a little bit of sin right over here. Once we give place to Satan, Satan builds a castle on it. Next thing you know, we've got our own little high place inside of our heart. called selfism. We move Jesus as king of our life and we become king. Well, okay, Brother Bruce, wait a minute now. I don't like it. Well, what about Baal worship? Well, Baal worship had a lot to do with lustful desires. In the world in which we live today, folks, there's a lot of unhealthy, lustful desires Things that are tempting us every day don't. And how much have we given into it? Worshiping the old flesh. Yeah. Okay, Brother Bruce, you're making me uncomfortable. What about idols? Don't think that we don't have our little special idols, materialism, selfism, all the isms that we can talk about. But mainly it's things that we want to do. Money, sports, you name it. There's a list of it. I mean, really, you could come up with your own list of what idols are in, in our world today. And I, th- you've heard it probably from this pulpit, and I don't need to define pass through fire. Well, what about maybe you've allowed your conscience to be seared, your own heart to be seared to the point where none, none of the preaching, none of the teaching, none of God's Word penetrates you. None of it matters anymore. You're just going to do your own thing no matter what, and you're just only here because, oh, by the way, your parents did this all their lives. And you don't want to let down anybody. But your life never changes. You keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. God's Word don't penetrate because your conscience is seared. You don't want to change. Well, what about soothsaying? The question that I would have is, who are you listening to? That makes a difference, doesn't it? Who do you listen to every day? Are you listening for God? Are you listening for truth? Who you listen to every day matters. Because who you listen to goes through your brain into your heart and what's in your heart, that's what comes out of the man. Witchcraft, drugs, alcohol, people are all all kinds of addictions, folks. And maybe somebody sitting here today, maybe you have some kind of addiction, whether it's porn, whether it's drugs, whether it's some kind of alcohol. There's all kinds of addictions, folks. In the church now. Sorcery. Who are you turning to? 
medium, spiritist question that I would have is, you know what the problem is? The problem is God is not enough. You see, with Manasseh, God in His simple word was not enough. Apparently it wasn't enough. Apparently what Hezekiah, his father, left for him wasn't enough and he thought that he needed to pursue other things. Experience other things. God is not enough. Is that what you do in your life? Experience other things? God's not enough. Coming to church is not enough. Doing and remaining active in the church is not enough. And so we have to ask ourselves, is the kind of life that we're living, do we stand unforgiven? And the Scriptures, just to make clear, if you don't already know, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's law. In other words, basically what that says is, if you are as good, if you're 99.9% good, and I don't know anybody here who would think that, But if you're 99.9% good and yet you steal or yet you may lie or yet you may do this or just say you told a lie. Well, the scriptures here says you're guilty. It don't matter about the 99.9%. You're just not good enough compared to God. And so the scriptures then says, okay, if I'm not clear here, then he says this in Romans 3 verse 23. Just so we're clear about it all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, I mean, that's pretty simple, isn't it? All have sinned and all of us come to the gl- short of the glory of God. In other words, we just missed the mark. And if we missed the mark, we're unforgiven. That's where we stand if we miss the mark. That is where Manasseh was. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 33 verse 12 says, When he was in distress, you bet. There comes a time in our life whenever we are in distress. There comes a moment in our life, folks, whenever we know we've reached the bottom and the bottom is not where we want to be. It comes to the point where we know that all of those stupid and foolish things that I've been doing, I've had enough of it. I can't live this way anymore. And our soul becomes vexed. Our soul becomes distressed. And we begin to open up our heart. And it says that Manasseh entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now I want you to get that. So this guy, Manasseh, was king for 57 years. So he comes along, he does all these evil and terrible and gruesome things before God. And God says, okay, I had enough of you. And He drags him out into a dungeon. And He's thrown down in this dungeon. And Manasseh says, that's not where I want to be. That's a horrible place to be. And it says that He humbled Himself. But not just humbled Himself. It says He humbled Himself greatly. And when he prayed to him, 
to God. God was moved. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? You know, when I read this, it just fills my heart with this great, great, great joy. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. It says that God heard him. And not only did God hear him, but he forgave him. The guy that we thought was unforgiven, God was moved not because of anything necessarily that Manasseh had did, but because he humbled himself in his heart and in his mind. You know what Peter tells us? Peter tells us that if we humble ourselves, as God is looking for those who humble themselves, and He will save them. He heard his supplication, his entreaty. And you know what he did? Look at what it says he did. He brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. And that's what God wants to do. God wants us to open up our hearts, to open up our minds, to open up our very soul, to open up our very essence to Him and give Him everything and to know that He is the most important thing in our life. And when we do that, God will hear, and not only will He hear, He will bring us into a relationship with Him. That's what that means. He brought Him again to Jerusalem, His kingdom, His people, His kingdom. His place. His terms. And He accepted Him. This is good news, isn't it? This is good news because it don't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what state that you are existing in. It doesn't matter what has occurred in your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you committed the most atrocious sin. What matters is that you turn your heart over to God. What matters is that you recognize that God is King in your life. That He is the most important person. He is the most important You're no longer king. You remove yourself. You allow him to become king. By doing that, you're saying, I trust you. That's what humility is. I trust you and give my heart to you. It says here that then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. You know what the truth of the matter is? There's a lot of people that don't experience what Manasseh figured out right there. You realize that? There's a lot of people in the church that haven't yet experienced what Manasseh knew at this moment. He knew the Lord was God. Why? Because he was brought low. And he humbled himself and he entered into a greater relationship with God by doing so. 
He experienced something there that a lot of us have still yet to experience because we're just holding back. We're holding back. We're keeping things from God. We want to go our own way. He treated himself. Joel chapter 2 verse 12 and 13. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Your heart is what matters to God. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. This is all of what Manasseh experienced. So the question that I have for you this morning is very simple. Do you stand forgiven? Can you look seriously and examine your heart right now and know that you are in a relationship with God? I mean, I'm talking about understanding that Jesus is King, that His words matter more to you, more than anything in this life. Because that's what it's going to come down to. You see, that's what God is after. He's after your heart, your mind, your soul, everything you are. That's what He wants. Anything less than that, all you do and all you're going to have is just a minimal Christian life. And that's it. He says, return to me with all your heart. That's what Manasseh did. In that low moment of his life, he gave his heart and soul and mind and spirit. He understood what that meant to humble himself before the Lord. Rend your hearts, not your clothing. Your clothes don't matter to God. Your position in life don't matter to God. Where you live doesn't matter to God. The kind of car you have doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter what kind of degree you have. What matters to God is where your heart is. And you have to ask yourself this morning, where is my heart? Am I forgiven? You see, God, it says here, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And I think He showed all that to Manasseh. The guy we thought, and we could just examine very easily and say, of all the people, he would be the most unforgiven. And yet God took him in. Amen. He'll take you in this morning. Now, we're about to sing a song. That's good. I'm glad. But you know what I would be even more happy over? If you give your heart to Jesus. If you come up and you confess your sin, because it says the angels will sing over one sinner that will come to Jesus Christ and be forgiven. And that's why this next song is going to be important. Now what Satan is going to do is he's going to try to keep you standing right there and he's going to try to keep you on that pew. And he's going to try to tell you that this moment is not important. And he's going to try to tell you that this pew is more important to you than anything in this old life. Don't listen to the pew. 
Don't listen to Satan. But listen to Jesus Christ who can save your soul alive this very day. Won't you come as we stand and sing this song?